Dudes of Davy, we're back. Lonnie Greenberg, Stefan Miller, special guest Andrew Geiger, usually from New Orleans, now in New York City. We are excited to be back. We're going to be talking a little bit of baseball because there's some historic things going on, and then we're going to dive right into the NBA, uh, post-draft reactions, and some trade predictions. Uh, Andrew, welcome to the pod. Thank you, gentlemen. Good to be back. L Train and Steph, let's do this. All right. So let's dive into a topic that my you know, colleague finds near and dear to his heart. Uh, I think my colleague is going through a baseball renaissance, uh, if, if you will. Uh, let's talk about the man uh, in Los Angeles, uh, Otani, and you know, sort of what are the first things you think about when you, uh, when you hear the name now? Uh, I, it's really incredible what he's doing on a nightly basis, and I'm not sure we talk enough about it. Um, I mean, is it weird to say that he might be the best baseball player ever? Um, I mean, what he's doing both at the plate and on the mound, I don't think we've ever seen from a single player, certainly in our lifetimes. I mean, you know, people always bring up Babe Ruth, um, but it's crazy. And I'm wondering why we really aren't talking about him all the time. I mean, is it an Anaheim market situation? Um, but every time I, every time he's on the mound, he's got 10 strikeouts. He's hitting two home runs is his numbers are, are crazy. Um, you know, we're talking about a guy who hasn't been in the league very long. I think it's only been five, five years or so. Uh, is he already a hall of famer? What do you guys think? So we, we've had the, I, I'm, I'm really happy, Andrew, you said what you said, the, the, the famous words of, is he the best baseball player ever? Because I actually said that to Stefan and he lost his mind. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a hard no, it's a hard no. But if he does it for another five years, then sure. I think what we're witnessing is one of one, right? We've never seen it. It's fantastic. It's unbelievable. And if he doesn't do it again for another few years, then we just had a magical ride. If he does it for another few years, then you could start to put him in the conversation as greatest ever. But to put him in the conversation as greatest ever right now, I think is an enormous disservice to all the ones before him. So, so I'll, I'll make a caveat to this. Look, you need a career. <clears throat> you need to play in playoffs. You need to play in World Series. You need to do some of those things, obviously, to be considered the, the best ever, right? And you need some longevity. But is he the best talent we've ever seen in baseball? I think that's, a, that's, a, that's an accurate yeah. and a pointed discussion. And I think I'm being convinced daily that he might be. I mean, this is a situation that, you know, you made a comment over text and, you know, as much as I, I don't want to admit it, but you might've been right on this one. You wrote, he single-handedly won the game the other night. Yeah. And then I went back and really like looked into the statistics and I'm like, oh my God, he actually did win the game by himself the other night. He pitched into the seventh inning. He hit two home runs and he won without him. They actually lose the game. Yeah, I mean he's he he's baseball's leading home run hitter. He leads in RBI, slugging percentage, total bases, OPS, WAR. I mean he's the best hitter right now, and arguably also the best pitcher. It's, <laughs> like, it's insane. Like that's, it's totally insane. <laughs> I mean, Steph, I think your argument is probably correct. Sure, he's only done it for for five years and whatnot. I mean, well, just to be just to be just to clarify, he's done it for like two years. Three years. This is the yeah. third year, right? He had Tommy John surgery, which is amazing that he's come back from that. It's incredible. Um, you know, as a Mets fan, I look at J Jacob DeGrom, and he was certainly, you know, on that Hall of Fame track, and then just injuries derailed his career. And I don't think you can really make the argument that he's a Hall of Famer any longer. Um, so sure, that could happen to Shohei too. But if the projection of his career, uh, you know, goes forward for the next, let's say, five years, I don't think there's any doubt. Plus the fact that he's likely to leave Anaheim, I would guess, and go to a bigger, it's weird to say a bigger market considering he's in like LA basically. But if he goes to the Dodgers, Mets, you know, somewhere else, um, I think you're going to be talking about this guy as, as baseball's number one guy. So two questions for both of you. Mm -hmm. So obviously we're all in agreement that him being where he is right now is hurting uh, his marketability or his at least his his macro exposure but i think that the two questions are if he leaves you know where's he gonna go and is he better 
I can't believe I'm actually going to say this. Is he already better than Mike Trout? Um, <clears throat> it's getting close. You know, it's funny is they talk about Trout more than him still, uh, which is amazing. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, he's he's if not the best hitter in baseball, he's one of the best hitters in baseball, and he pitches the ball, and he's one of the best pitchers in baseball. It's like. Yeah, I mean, it, it's like you can't even compare him to anything else. It's just a unicorn. Well, that, 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 that's kind of the thing. It's that, just a unicorn. That's the thing is you, you really can compare him. And when you go through the list of the top 20 players of all time, whoever's on your list, right, whether it's Babe Ruth and Joe DiMaggio and Willie Mays, you know, obviously going way back. And then you're looking at the um, Greg Maddoxes and other players, you know, Stan Musial. I mean, I think what happens is that it is hard to compare generations. It really is. And people talk a lot about how Babe Ruth hit 714 home runs in the dead ball era. Now, I don't know really anything about that. Right. Okay? But there's a, you know, there's a lot of historians and baseball you know, uh, reporters who talk about this and how it's very different today. And my, and my, my retort is everything is different. Everything. So across every sport, we're going to go through this and have this you know, sort of like fork in the road of, you can't compare everything on an equal basis, but at some point you have to try and compare everything on a more macro basis. So, so to the two of you, so where does Otani go after this season, and what do you think that's going to look like? I mean, it depends. The Angels are forty; they're seven games over five hundred, exactly halfway through the season, through eighty-one games. It'll be interesting to see what the Angels do this year. I mean, I think this is this is if they. They make the playoffs, and let's say they win, you know, the wild card or whatever the first the first round. The case can be made by management and by ownership, like, hey, like we're we're almost there now. We only we, we see where we need a couple more pieces to put around you, but like they have Otani and Trout, and they were crappy for like a couple of years. It's insane. Like, like who who do they have playing on well, this team? Is it like you and I? Well, Otani looks back on 2022, and his, I mean, he acknowledged. He, had a, he was he, he didn't have a fun season. Yeah, he didn't. He did not enjoy playing. He didn't enjoy losing. I, I guess what becomes really wild is that if he, f- in fact, leaves to free agency and signs a fifty, you know, a five-year, you know, ten-year, five hundred million-dollar contract with the Mets or the Dodgers or whomever, and then doesn't perform as well as he did, it's going to really hurt his legacy. Oh, for sure. Well, I, I can guarantee you that if he signs to the Mets, he's suddenly going to become a, a two twenty hitter. And, you know, <laughs> That, that always happens. Listen, um, you got you but, got the the Mets have a special sauce over there. It's a special <laughs> sauce. But the Angels, I mean, you you mentioned they have Trout and Otani, so they have the two best baseball players in the universe on the same team, and they they can't make the postseason. I mean, they they have to do that. I, I don't think if they if they miss the postseason, I think he bounces, um, just because again he he's not the he's not a spring chicken, right? He's twenty twenty eight. Twenty-eight, twenty. So he, so he tw- probably has. Actually, he's turning you know, twenty-nine next week. I, I actually looked it yeah. up yesterday. Yeah. So he's probably going to want to go somewhere where he can play in October. Um, and I and he's not going to go to a smaller market. Um, you know, this isn't a situation where he's suddenly going to show up in you know Pittsburgh. Um, so I think it's really either New York or L.A. Yeah, I would agree with you. It. it somebody asked me yesterday, like what do I think his contract's going to look like coming up? And it, it's fun. I look back at like a few of the different contracts like Trouts and um, Harper and some of the others and Judge. Nobody wants to sign anyone past 40. So his contract's not going past 10 years, right. Right? especially if he's 29. So then the question is, what's the number? Somebody's like, is it going to be 600? I'm like, no, nah. it, it will be it will be 500, 10 for 500. Be 500. So 10 or 11 years but it'll, it'll go over 500. What's crazy? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's tough to value because he's 300 alone for the hitting. C- correct. Also the pitcher. Correct. Um, it, it, yeah, it's, it's wild. Yeah, just something to think about is, you know, you look at um, Suzuki, mm-hmm. okay, Ichiro Suzuki on Seattle, and someone asked me the other day, you know, how would you compare him to Otani? And I thought it was a really interesting question because – Suzuki was just a phenomenal hitter, mm-hmm. a phenomenal baseball player. But these athletes from other countries, irrespective of what the country is, when they don't speak English, 
it becomes incredibly challenging to market them the same way in the States as you would market. And even though I think the Angels have done a horrific job of marketing Mike Trout, he still is in a bunch of commercials. I mean, he's boring as hell and he gives a terrible interview, but at least he's still getting those commercials. Right. You can't do that with Otani. You have to get so much more creative about the content that you generate. So I really believe that it's going to be fascinating to see whether the Angels, with no salary cap, just go all in and keep him, okay, and figure out a way to turn him into, you know, they need two to three other pitchers. They just, they just need a rotation, right? They, need, they just need to improve the whole team around the two greatest players in the league, two greatest offensive players and a pitcher. You're starting to see Otani's personality come out a little bit more in some of these home run celebrations. He has a, he's in a one or two commercials where he like tries to show a little bit here and there. But yeah, he goes to a big market. Like Let's say he goes to New York um, or even, I'll, I'll say it too, but Boston or Chicago or whatever. I, I think they're going to do a good job of like getting him, um, getting him going, and getting him to be, you know, pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I think it's 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 amazing to see. We're watching something that's never been done before. I hope the rest of this year is as good, if not better, than the first part of the year, and he finishes with some like absurd line, like you know, two seventy five batting average, <laughs> you know, sixty home runs, one hundred forty RBIs, and like fifteen wins, and a, and a three point oh four earn run average. Because it's definitely going to be memorable. So I'm going to read his stats through 81 games, the high-level ones, and then we can move on. I think it's like a drop-the-mic kind of moment. Through 81 games, he's batting 304, 28 home runs, 64 RBIs. He's, uh, he has seven wins. He's 7-3, and three. 3.02 ERA, 127 strikeouts, 10 quality starts, and the Angels are fifth in the American League. At forty four and thirty seven, and his WAR is six point one. That's yeah. half. That, that's just. That's exactly halfway in the middle I mean, of the season. Forty four and thirty seven is just not going to cut it. No, it's not. I mean, it's just that team is just. You know, they need to be better. They need. They need to make. Uh, you know, Andrew, you, you said they need to make the playoffs. They have to make the playoffs in order for there to be a real conversation about what they're going to do. So, right. and I'd like to see them make the playoffs. I mean, they. I'd like to see Shohei and Trout in the postseason for once. Uh, it's, it, people. Who follow baseball really only get to see them play in like the All Star game. I mean, um, it was. I thought it was. So, ama- I thought it was amazing to see them in the World Baseball Classic. Right. I mean, that was incredible, right? You saw Trout had an opportunity, Shohei had an opportunity, and one of them produced and one of them didn't. So, right. Right. All right. So uh, enough baseball. I think we paid it some love. I think we're going to continue to give it some love, assuming some of these storylines continue. Uh, let's move over to the NBA. Uh, interesting draft. Uh, we're about to walk into uh, official free agency for restricted and unrestricted free agents. We have a new CBA that was just signed by all the teams. Uh, you know, Geiger, what are some of your uh, what are some of your thoughts as we head into this? I mean, obviously, the the draft is the draft. You know, my thoughts on the draft generally. I I think once you get outside top eight or so picks, you're pretty much just throwing darts. I'm not even sure. The second round of the NBA draft, I know a lot of these teams stockpile picks and think of those picks as assets. I, I don't really see it that way. Um, I know a lot of teams use them as kind of salary maneuvers and whatnot, but you're not really getting good players. You can't really bank on good players anymore, really outside of the, again, the latter half of the first round and this and really the second round. That being said, I think some teams did pretty well with their picks in the lottery um, and, and without really many picks at all. I, I kind of like what the Wizards are doing. Um, it's weird that I'm talking about the Wizards uh, as the first thing I'm mentioning, but they are a team that needed a hard reset. And I think, you know, getting out of, sometimes getting out of contracts is more important than who you're adding. So getting rid of Beal and um, Porzingis and, you know, they have a nice little backcourt now um, with uh, Tyus Jones and Jordan Poole uh, that they got in that CP3 trade. Um, so it's nice to see a team reset like that um, in a relatively quick time frame. Spurs obviously getting Wembyana. I mean, he's a generational talent, just as my guy Zion in New Orleans is. Um, and <laughs> and and we'll see. I mean, we'll we'll see ultimately what happens. No one really knows how good these players are. I think even with as early as you know, everyone was talking about Scoot Henderson as being this this talent, but no one really knows how good these guys are playing in the overtime elite 
G League, whatever they right. wherever they are. Even right. guys who are in college, Brandon Miller, is he a guarantee? No. Uh, so we'll see. The draft is always fun to watch and fun to criticize and fun to watch what teams do. But um, I don't think you can grade a draft until probably three years from now to see where all these players turn out. Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree with that. I think, you know, there's no reason to grade a draft until you actually spend some time in the NBA and see what you can do. Um, I do like Tyus Jones a lot for the Wizards. I also think getting out of the Beal contract uh, is basically like Houdini because that contract was so bad uh, and Beal made them give it to him especially with the no, you know, the, the no trade movement. So uh, I think getting out of that contract is a huge win. Uh, I do think that the Pelicans at 14 getting Jordan Hawkins is kind of a steal. Uh, I think he's got the DNA and some of the experience that a lot of these players don't have uh, from college basketball. Uh, he's a knockdown three-point shooter. Uh, he's an uber competitive guy. Uh, I just think he's going to be I think he's going to be instantaneously a value add to to the Pelicans, and obviously the Pelicans have are going to have an interesting season uh, with or without uh, Zion, your generational talent. Right. Uh, I, I agree with you on Hawkins. I think that the Pelicans had a clear need, which was another shooter, and he certainly fits that mold. And anytime you can get a shooter from a national champion, um, you know that that that's a good add. He he reminds me. I mean, obviously he played for UConn, but he reminds me a little bit of Ray Allen, just how he shoots and. I mean, like you can't – if you have that pure shooting ability, the NBA at the end of the day is a make-or-miss league. You need good shooters. You need, you know, also shooters who can create their own shot, which I think he can do. So, you know, I'm always sometimes baffled by, like, you know, there could be, like, some over-analysis that's done by a lot of these teams. It's like I get it that there's need, but there's just some guys that you're just like, they're going to translate into the league and, and it's like, I guess you're like, okay, who can get plugged in now and who has a ceiling and who can go high, ab- above that ceiling? You know, they're always trying to guess that. But, you know, I, I don't know. I'm a big believer in, like, you, you, take, you take who you think can, can start playing soon and can learn in the NBA and get even better. Yeah, um, yeah I was just going to say, on that note, you're right. I mean, it's, it's such a contrast to the NFL draft where you can pick a guy in the NFL draft in like the sixth round and they can start right away. Right. In the NBA draft, I mean, how many guys even will crack a rotation outside of the top, you know, 10 or so picks? I mean, that's the hope, right? That you can ho- hopefully grab a guy that can maybe give you some good minutes. You know, how when you in Denver with Braun, Brown, you know, and even... Uh, uh, wherever around the league. I mean, he's playing six, seven minutes a game, and so that's a good pick, you know, right, um, right. where he was picked. So, um, that, you know, it's, again, we'll see where everything shakes out in, in a few years. Um, but I think hitting a rotational guy in the, in the 20s is really the, if you can do that, that's a win. Right, like the like the Cam Whitmore going down to 20. I feel like he's he's going to play. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think that was a surprise to a lot of people that he fell so far down the draft. I mean, obviously, there was a lot of discussions about his interview, a lot of discussions about his attitude. Yeah. Uh, and I do think that uh, teams, you know, sort of, they're predisposed to make a decision prior to somebody walking in the room sometimes, unfortunately, just based on, you know, rumors uh, and, uh, and third-hand stories. And I do think that that happened to Cam. Uh, but I think that there's other players in the draft who were chosen very early uh, that are going to, you know, like the Thompson brothers, uh, if I have that right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Thompson, yeah. That went four and five. I mean, it's funny. I never, I mean, I, I would never have bet that the two of them would have gone back to back, especially four and five that high based off of their resumes. I just wouldn't have. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're being picked based on what people think they might be able to do and their right. athletic ability. I mean, they haven't played against any real competition. No. Um, but they did well in workouts. <laughs> so, right, right. You know, so uh, who knows? Uh, again, I mean, those are pretty, where they go, five, six? Four, four five, five. Four, five. I mean, that, that's pretty high for potential question marks. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that, that spoke a lot about the, the depth of this draft, um, which I didn't really see. I know, Steph, you feel differently. Yeah, I mean, I just, I just feel that there's, there's some real players in this draft that are going to do really well. I happen to think Scoot is going to have a, a, sh- a really good career. I think he's, he's got a lot of the tools. Uh, I've watched enough, you know, honestly, game tape and film on him to say that, you know, he knows how to play the game, and I think he's going to, he brings a very, very competitive mindset to the game. 
I do think that uh, a couple of the other players toward the back of the draft, the Kobe Bufkins from the you know from Michigan, that our uh, our resident draft expert Matt Pearls you know was very high on. I think it, the more you watch his tape, the more you see how he's going to fit in. Uh, he's also going to a team that I'm not, I'm not going to disparage Nate McMillan, but I think Quinn Snyder's a very different type of coach. Correct. Uh, they just unloaded the Johns Collin contract. I don't think they handled that situation well at all. I think they could have gotten a ton more for him in the last two off seasons when he was also in draft talks. I mean, in trade talks. So, but to bring in Kobe Bufkin and to start making some moves, I just think Quinn Snyder's going to put Kobe in a position to succeed. So I also think that has a lot more to do with it too. You know, you can draft certain players, but if the coaches and the teams are going to put you in a position to succeed or fail, unfortunately, that's going to really dictate uh, a lot of your early success. It could also be an enormous reason why uh, your success is stymied in the beginning. It's a great point. Like <clears throat> system and coaching, that does matter. Where 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 a lot of these guys go? Because look, they're young. The other thing too is like before they get to the NBA. Pretty much all of them, literally all of them in the draft, first and second round, have been stars everywhere they've been. They have to start adjusting to a role when they get to the NBA. That can be a hard thing to do for 18, 19, 20-year-old guys who have just had the ball in their hands for the entire careers. I mean, we, yeah, we, I mean that's a good point, too, because we touched on this in the last pod, which is you know, these guys are getting younger and younger. You know, you're drafting you know, 17 and 18-year-olds who are just... A, they're still growing both, you know, mentally and physically. B, they maybe they haven't had the nearly the same type of competition that a Grady Dick, you know, has had on Kansas, where you know they just they haven't seen that level of competition, and now they're coming into a situation where they're going to be asked to start possibly, or they're going to be asked to uh, come, you know, be the sixth or seventh man and, and learn the system quickly. So uh, I do think. Well, you, 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 yeah, you take your Scoot Henderson um, example, which is a, is a good one. He's he was the alpha dog on his squad. Um, he went to a really interesting destination in Portland because he's potentially faced with being in the same backcourt as Lillard. Um, so does he have to defer to Lillard now, who we all know is a gunner, or does he take it upon himself to establish himself as like, you know, the second fiddle there, which is probably what Lillard wants to see. Um, it, it's, it'll be very interesting. This I'm not sure he went to the best place unless they unload Lillard because maybe he can be Lillard part two. Um, he could also be Dennis Smith Jr. Part two. I don't know. Well, I mean, if he's Dennis Smith Jr. Part two, <laughs> as a di- as a diehard Nick fan, I could tell you right now, uh, that's a short story. The ending's quick. <laughs> and I only bring up that that comparison because Dennis Smith Jr. coming out of college was, you know, high flying, rim rocking, you know, shooting guard who put up a lot of points pretty quickly. And you know, I, I didn't see much defensively. And to me, Scoot Henderson's game looks a lot like that right now. But um, Hopefully not for Portland. I think that's a fair comparison. I think that's actually a great segue into uh, you know the the trading market right now that's about to open up tomorrow on June thirtieth, uh, where teams can start to uh, make offers and start to negotiate contracts. So why don't we start with Portland and Damian Lillard, uh, Lon? What are your thoughts on on what's going to be the ending here for the Blazers and Lillard? I, I think <clears throat> I think he leaves this year. I, I actually do. He's, I think, 33 or 34. He, you know, he, he keeps playing a game. It's a very interesting game. But he did say a team that he wouldn't mind playing for, which is not just off the cuff, right? Like, he's, he's thinking through this. He's planting a couple things here and there. You know, you hear reports of, like, they, you know, the Blazers want Bam. We, we, we like Bam. We like Bam. You know, they're, they're, look, who knows what's going on behind the scenes. But I, I do think a trade does happen with the Heat. I really do. And I think the pieces, I mean, we talked about it last time. You know, Tyler Hero makes a lot of sense just because, you know, you're paying him a ton of money. It, it can help you absorb Dame's contract a little bit more by getting rid of Hero. But then the question, it's, it's obviously going to come down to, like, who's next. The Heat are not going to give up Bam. Uh, even though, you know, we've talked about this. Is he a little bit overrated? Possibly. I mean, I look. I could, I could part with Bam personally, but I, I don't know what the Heat would. You know, Riley likes a deal. He likes a good deal. I mean, listen. I mean, I'll, I'll let Andrew, you know, go too. But I, I'm of the mindset that the relationship between Portland management right now and Lillard is decent. Maybe it's even pretty good. Mm-hmm. I think he 
He does not want to do wrong by the city, nor does he want to be remembered by the fan base the way that some fan bases remember their star players for leaving. So I think he's going to go to some great lengths, and he already has, if you think about it, to make this as amicable as possible. They went on the record yesterday saying they don't like Hero. So, oh, the Blazers did? Yeah. Oh, I didn't hear that. So it came out that like no one loves him. It's a four-year, $130 million contract. Year one starts this year. They don't love him. So if they don't love him, then to our last pod, and I think it might have been your or Matt's possibility, which is, is it a sign-and-trade with Caleb Martin and Duncan Robinson? Is it a sign-and-trade with Caleb Martin and Max Struess and Picks, et cetera? I, you know, for those of you who can't see, uh, Andrew expressing uh, dismay and like, you got to be kidding me here. So, okay, why Andrew. Would the, why would the Blazers want any of those guys? <laughs> I mean, you're, 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 you're unloading, you know, bottom of the rotation dudes who performed, I guess, decently well for, yeah, sorry, Lonnie. Um, but for, you know, one of the NBA's premier players, I'm not even sure Lillard's a good fit on the Heat. Is Lillard one of the NBA's premier players? Yes. I think so. Okay. Yeah. He's I, I, probably a Hall of Famer. Oh, he's definitely a Hall of Famer. There's no doubt so, about that. So, okay. So you're acquiring a Hall of Famer for Max Struess and Duncan Robinson. I mean, come on. You got to add something to the pot there. And it doesn't make sense to get rid of Bam because if you're acquiring Lillard, you want Bam, right? So I'm, I'm not sure Lillard is a good fit for Miami. I know he wants to go there. I mean, who wouldn't? But can he even play as, uh, Lillard and. Then you have what? Gabe Vincent and Jimmy Butler? Well, the, the, talk, the talk is keeping. The talk is that of the three, Struess is getting a lot of interest from many teams. Riley wants to keep Caleb Martin, but he wants to keep him at like, you know, an average of $10 million per season. And then then he could start to hunt. Obviously, they wanted, they'd love to unload Lowry, right? So that's, that's a gimme. Uh, I think it's going to be Duncan or Tyler. I don't think it'll be both. Who cares? Give them both. <laughs> listen, man, listen. You guys are a dozen players. So you, you're... You don't, these aren't decisions. If, if someone says, okay, you can acquire Damian Lillard and you, you, you're getting rid of Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson and even Caleb Martin, it's a no brainer. I, I, I agree with you. Easily. I agree with you. True. You know, it's, it's an interesting point that you make, which is, you know, during the, the playoff run, I kept saying that he'd have so many assets, that he'd have so many assets now. But the interesting thing is, are they really just great assets in our system with? probably the best coach in the NBA that might be you know <laughs> that that might be part of it too like what do they do somewhere else and like what well, we we were talking about a little bit before the pod which is you know 80 percent of the league is just you know you can move a lot of those players around and just put them in different places they're they're kind of interchangeable parts to a lot of different teams which those guys kind of go into that category I mean really if you if you think about it hero a little less but you know, yeah, the, the Robinsons and the Struces and whatever. It's you know, it's almost like it's almost like in fantasy, when somebody offers you like three players for one, you're like, you know, I don't need three three more okay players. Right. I, need, I need like one good player in this spot. So yeah, I mean, I I, I hear that a little bit. Blazers are like, why, why do we need like three or four like guys like we have already? I mean, what you want to avoid if you're Miami is doing kind of what Phoenix did when they had to acquire KD. Correct. Right? Like unloading all of your depth to get a superstar, and that came back to bite them in the, in the postseason. Correct. But I think, Dunk, and specifically with regard to Duncan Robinson and Hero, to me, they seem like kind of the same dude. Like you can trade one, you can trade both if you have a Struce, you know, some spot-up shooter who can knock down a three. Because remember, if you're acquiring Lillard, those are the threes. Right. right. Correct. Like you don't need the Duncan Robinson and the Struess and Hero. So, I mean, you can afford to get rid of a lot of those guys. So I think it's a no-brainer if Portland's willing to move him for those assets. Uh, I'm just not sure they are. Um, and, Steph, to your point, Lillard can't really force his way out. I think there's a – right, he's, he's kind of walking a, uh, a fine line. Um, I think he's saying all the right things for now. The Instagram posts where – I guess you had the thumbs up when the, the heat music Miami, yeah, was, was playing. That doesn't help. But really, if you're a Portland fan, it, it's, you know, at this point, you, you can't fault him. No, no, I he's, completely He's agree. given you a lot of really, yeah. really great years. Like, you know, he's not the GM. He's not, you know, running the organization. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it'll be really interesting to see what happens here. You, you know what's interesting about Dame, which he's not Steph, clearly. But he's the closest thing to Steph in the NBA 
where the big value in him is obviously, you know, he, he has buckets and, you know, he, he scores a lot, but he stretches the floor out another six, seven feet. And you have to honor that. You can't give him an inch. And that does really help a team that knows how to, you know, rotate and play good offense. You know, there's a value there, even, even if he's declining slightly. There's, that's, that's one of the values, I think, in him. Listen, I think the Heat are going to be busy. I think the Blazers are going to be busy. You know, another couple teams I think are going to be pretty busy are going to be the Kings, who are looking to make the next jump. Uh, and I think the Lakers are going to be pretty busy too. And um, from what I'm hearing, uh, just probably not to slimmer to you guys, is that you know Rob Palenka is attempting to keep uh, Austin Reeves um, as well as Hachimura and as well as Russell. And I'm curious to get both of your thoughts because... I guess I get wanting to run it back to a degree with some of these players, but I also think, you know, players have these out-of-body experiences for, you know, two, four, six-week stretches, and I'm just not sure if I would be so quick. I mean, I think Hachimura, besides having the coolest last name in the NBA, um, I don't think he's consistent enough to give him a pretty big contract right now. I think he, he didn't show very much during his entire rookie contract. I think he played pretty well for the Lakers. I just don't know how fast I'd be willing to sign him. I know he's big. I know he can do a lot of other things. But, you know, what do you guys think of the the Lakers and the Kings and some of the moves that they're going to be contemplating? Um, I actually think Hachimura played really well in the Lakers. I mean, he, he fit that system much better. I don't think you can hold that wizard stint against him because everyone plays poorly on the Wizards. They're just a, a pretty poor organization with, with bad coaching. Um, Westbrook looked pretty good on the Wizards, though. Well, like, yeah, you can give a, I mean, you can give a guy free reign to do anything and right. put up numbers. I mean, Hachimura played really well with the Lakers. I mean, obviously in the postseason run, Reeves played really well. I'm not sure how good those guys are anywhere else, but they're good on the Lakers. So I think it makes sense to keep them. I don't think the same about D'Angelo Russell, though. I think he was clearly a. I mean, when he was when he's off, he's way off. Right. And I think that hurts them a lot. He the hurts. Postseason. He he hurts them when he's off. Agree. Yeah. Um, to the King's point, it, what's really interesting to me, and perhaps as a, the first domino to fall in free agency, is Draymond Green. I, I think there's a lot of talk about him re-upping with the Warriors, which would be fine. But how interesting would it be if he went to the Kings, right? The Kings have a have a bunch of salary cap room, and the one thing they really lacked in the postseason was that toughness. Um, you know, and Green and kind of made Sabonis his. Uh, you know, yes, during the season, and to add Draymond Green, you know, an experienced veteran like that, with with that physicality to that, you know, Kings team that has a lot of finesse, um, would be an interesting move in the West. I'm not sure he leaves Golden State for Sacramento, but Sacramento can can offer him a lot of money. Well, I'm curious if you were Draymond Green, mm-hmm. and you just went through kind of a an awkward season, maybe self inflicted, maybe not. Nobody will ever know exactly what went on. You know, obviously, he's super close with Curry and with Thompson. Uh, you know, the tie, you know, these ties run deep. Yep. But, you know, at some point, you know, he's going to have a he's going to have a couple offers on the table. And the Kings are definitely going to be one of them. And it's going to be for a boatload of money. So the question is going to be, does he decide to leave or does he run it back for one more season? Because it would only be one more season. I think he tries. I think they're going to try to run it back for one more season. I, I really do. Although, I, I don't know if... Um the, the GM leave what's his name again? Uh, well, now it's my, no, well, well it's Mike Dunn leaving now, but right. uh, but him leaving, I don't know if he left because he knew that they were going to be in a spot where um, he he couldn't. It was untenable for him to deal with. So I, I don't know. I mean, look, I think they're going. I think the three of them are going to try to run it back one more year. I do think they have a window right now to possibly do it again, but they need. I mean, they need a couple pieces clearly. I'll tell you right now. They, they, um, can't, they can't have Looney playing 45 minutes. He's going to pass well, out. They, they, they're going to need some big man assistance, and I think Clay Thompson's in trouble. I think he showed everybody that last year he's just not the same guy. Uh, older, the injuries. He couldn't hit a three to save his life against the Lakers, and I don't know if that was just you know him going cold or him having you know maybe just the, the, the toll that the, you know, playing a full season after not playing for a year and a half took. But I think, you know, Clay Thompson is an interesting situation to watch because I think Clay Thompson's eligible for a contract too. Correct. Yeah. And, and so that's why I think that CP3 trade is also interesting because even though CP3 doesn't ha- isn't the CP3 of old, I think he really helps that team um, because he can, 
you know, allow Clay to sit a little bit more. He doesn't have to be the guy. He can help out that second unit um, and be one of those players on the on the closing uh, closing time in the court too. So if you have CP3, if they run it back and you have CP3, Steph Curry, Clay, Draymond, and I guess some sort of combo. Well, it's Looney, five, Looney, Gary Looney, Payton. Inga, whoever. Um, that's a pretty formidable squad. Wiggins. Uh, Wiggins. Yeah, Wiggins too. I mean, that, that, that's, that's, that's a good team. And, you know, I think what hurt the Warriors, and I think we spoke about this the last time I was on, was they basically coasted in the regular season um, to a fault. They were horrible on the road because they rested all those guys when they were on the road. I remember going to see them play the Pelicans, and both times all their stars sat. And that happened throughout the season wherever they went. Um, and I think in crunch time in the postseason, those guys didn't perform well, um, you know, when, when they could have. I mean, those guys got they got rolled by the Lakers. Yeah. Very surprising, especially after that series against the Kings, where I thought they looked pretty good. Um, so I think adding a veteran presence like CP3 really helped them. I mean, I'll tell you that I, I don't think the Warriors should have even beaten the Kings. Um, I was pretty clear about that. I think the Kings had that series. They had control of that series. Uh, I think Sabonis was below average in that series, and he hurt them. Well, that's, that's the, I think that's the Draymond factor. Well, I think I it's mean, the Draymond factor, and Sabonis, and, and he hurt his hand. Sabonis had a really hurt hand, and I don't know how much that impacted his shot, but it looked like Green was in Sabonis' head all series. So, uh, but I did like stepped on his throat or whatever. Yeah, his sternum, <laughs> his sternum. Yeah, yeah. Thro- throat would have been interesting too, though. Um, <laughs> So let's let's we have a few more minutes left before we wrap this up. I'd love to get, you know, everybody's thoughts on the Celtics moving Marcus Smart to to Memphis. That was a huge transaction. And then I'd love to get everybody's including myself, you know, give give one prediction for a move or a, a, either a, a, a trade or a re-up that'll be a bit surprising, you know, involving, you know, some of the, you know, the the Fred Van Fleets of the world, etc. So I guess, you know, Geiger, since you're our guest, you know, what were your thoughts when the Celtics, you know, moved Marcus Smart, you know, nine years, a nine-year, tenured, most tenured Celtic, and moved him to Memphis? I think it's a great move for the Grizzlies, really. Uh, when that happened, I was like, okay. Because the Grizzlies are a very interesting team. Obviously, the Morant situation aside, Dylan Brooks was kind of a clown in the postseason. And so what they managed to do with, with acquiring Smart is they got veteran, veteran presence in a – point guard who can play while Morant is suspended and also bring sort of a, a seriousness to that team that they were lacking in the postseason. Um, you know, the Dylan Brooks stuff was, was a, was a sideshow. I think it really hurt them. Uh, so I think acquiring smart makes them um, more interesting, especially if they can make the postseason. I don't like them getting rid of Tyus Jones though. Um, you know, as much as I like him on the wizards, I really liked him on the Grizzlies as their backup point guard. So um it, maybe it's maybe it, it evens itself out, but I think the Grizzlies getting smart was definitely necessary for the overall uh, just construction of that team. And as far as the Celtics go, I don't know. I think they needed to make a change. There's uh, no choice. Yeah, and whether I mean they were clearly willing to trade Brogdon too. Um, so I don't know what they do. Yeah, that, really. that'd probably be an awkward breakfast. You know, hey man, you know, actually we didn't trade you. And uh, we're excited to have you back. So, right. And I still think they have holes that they need to fill. Um, well, I think they're going to move Grant Williams, right? So I think they have Porzingis now. They're going to move Grant Williams. And you think they're committed completely to Jalen Brown? It's a quarter of a billion dollar question. Yeah, I mean, I literally, yeah. I, I could possibly see Jalen Brown going in a, in a, in a big in a big deal. I think that's a good call. I think I could see them getting a massive haul. I mean, I don't know who, though. That's the thing. It's like, who's, who, you know who has the assets? I mean, if we're going to go through this, uh, Danny Ainge and Utah have the assets. Right. Uh, which, but I don't think those partners are going to make, you know, do well in bed. Uh, OKC has the assets. Uh, the Cavs could have, you know, could shake things up a little bit. So I, I, I like your Jalen Brown isn't definitely coming back. Uh, and there's, you know, 250 million reasons why. Right. And I think there's another team. I mean, shoot. Imagine 249 or his left hand. Is he is he is he a free agent right now? I think because he he's eligible for the Supermax or whatever, because he made an all NBA team. That's correct. Celtics can offer him more than any other team by a by a wide margin. And I think it's up to him to opt into it. So the question for him is whether he wants to be 
second fiddle to Tatum or, or you know, 1A and 1B for a long time or whether he wants to go somewhere and be the guy. He would look pretty nice next to Wimbiyama. He would. They have the most money. I don't know. They have a lot to... They, they're going to be very interesting. Not not this year, but coming... I mean, Wembenyama is going to make it very interesting, but they're... This is Pop's, like, last run. He's going to... I think he's going to do something in the next few years that will be very interesting. But, yeah, I mean, they're they're a sneaky team. They're one of those sneaky, good organizations. Uh, in terms of smart, I think... I, I agree with Geiger. I think it's a great move. I think he helps them out a lot. Defensively, they're going to be... the you know, the best defensive team in the NBA with all those players now. I mean, Jaron Jackson won defensive player of the year. Smart's won it the last two years. You know, you have interior, you have perimeter defense. Dylan Brooks is a pretty good defender. Um, well, Dylan Brooks is gone. Oh, I'm sorry. Dylan right. Brooks is gone. I'm yeah, sorry. He's gone. Yeah, yeah. No, no, but I'm just saying, like, they, they have a good defensive team, but, you know, Jaws the big question, clearly. Well, let me ask you a question. And, and maybe he might be able to help him in the locker room a little well, bit. Well, I, I, I think that's one of the big reasons he's I, there. I think, I think Marcus Smart will help Ja. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good point. Where do you think, does Dylan Brooks, so Dylan Brooks apparently is seeking a $12 million per year contract. I mean, so am I. I know, I know. I mean, <laughs> I think that man is worth, you know, I mean, look, he can play very good defense. I think he has a massive attitude issue. I think he has a massive self-perception issue. I mean, I don't know what team right now is thinking, now. Nah, you know what we need? We need Dylan Brooks in our locker room. Do you know what's funny is Dylan Brooks was trying to be Marcus Smart, and then they were like, you know what? We're just going to take Marcus Smart. We're actually going to buy the guy <laughs> that you wanted that to That you're be. trying to be. Yeah. Marcus Smart is, I actually still think he's underrated by a lot of people. I mean, I think, I think he's, whenever he would have the ball or he's playing defense against somebody, and like the Heat played against the Celtics a lot, I was always afraid of him. I always felt like he had a chance to do something that just changed the game, always. Listen, the, the biggest thing with him is that those, the nine years he's played on the Celtics have felt like 15. Yeah. Okay, he's played a ton of games. He's got a lot of miles on that car. So does he have enough in the tank to, you know, because Marcus Smart the last year or two wasn't the exact same Marcus Smart we were used to this no. year for sure. No. I mean, his defense wasn't as good. His three-point shooting wasn't as good. And that could have been a function of the culture. That could have been a function of second-row Joe mm-hmm. being a first-year head coach mm-hmm. and not knowing really what to do. So I think there's a lot of things there. I think, uh, I think Marcus Martin needed a new team. That's for sure. Right, right. I think Dylan Brooks, if I think of teams that he can land on, I, I guess I'll just – I think Phoenix would be a good destination for him just mm. because they need depth. I they love need, that call. That's actually. a very they good call. They, they've unloaded a lot of their talent. Um, I mean, he could slide right in there and play 15, 20 minutes easy and be a defensive presence. And and legitimately have no choice but to, you know, look up to, you know, KD and Booker and be like, I, it's your team. I know it's your team. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. I like that spot for him. Right. I mean, Phoenix is going to be grabbing a lot of those, right. you know, high tier bench guys now. So Bruce Brown, Dante Vincenzo, where are they going? <laughs> I mean, these are guys that you're looking at rotational players uh, at best. I, I don't think, oh my God, we we acquired Dante Vincenzo. Now we're you know it's definitely our, not an oh my God with getting Dante. Our, get, getting our ring sized, you know, for a, a championship. I mean. <laughs> They, they can go anywhere. The I Knicks. do. I, I do think Bruce Brown, though, who showed on the Nets that he had the skill, and then it translated to the to the Nuggets, and he actually delivered. Yeah. I think he he is a difference maker to a team that's you know on the border. Like I think Nick. What about your Knicks? Um, I'm trying to understand what we're doing with all the players we presently have. So, you know, I'm not sure what we're you know we we just. We opted in and, and signed McBride again. Cool. Uh, we chose Obi's brother. No idea why. Um, I, I'm not sure what the Knicks are exactly doing. And maybe, you know, Leon Rose is working up some wild trades and magic. I mean, well, I is not Isn't Bruce Brown basically, if you took like Grimes and quickly and put them together, you'd have like Brown? Yes. Yeah, so if we're going to sign <laughs> Brown, I want to at least know that we've got a trade ready to go. For quickly Grimes, Ob, two of the three, whatever it is, you know, maybe we just throw Ob in as a, you know, like you know, like a free gift, you know, like take him and you know, you know, he's got great athleticism, but he and, he, and he's got a decent motor for ten minutes, and that's all he can do. Mm-hmm. But if we can, if the Knicks could sign Brown, 
with the understanding that we're now about to move Grimes in quickly and get something else in return, future first, whatever it is, that'd be great. Yeah. What about, I mean, Ra- what about Randall? Like, what, what's happening there? That's a, that's a pretty big piece. You know, you know what the problem is? He averages 25 and 10 in the regular season, and that's not easy to replace. That's the problem. I don't know, you know, I don't love him. I think he stinks in the postseason. I think he's got massive mental issues. Um, I'll still support him, but like every time he has the ball, I look away. Um, I just, you know, it's just, you know, what are we going to get for him and how do you replace that production? You know, people always say, you know, production can get replaced, you know, replaced by committee. What committee? Okay, who? You know, I just, so I'm happy to move him. I just, you know, we got to move him for something. You know, I got to move him and get something back in return that's actually going to, you know, you know, score and, and, and put up some you know, boards. Do you think Brunson likes playing with him legitimately? Because it's, re- it's, it's now Brunson's team. It's a clearly. very fair question. I also think, you know, and, and I don't know if we'll have enough time in this pod, but I feel like the Brunsons of the world and pick your pick your Brunson on each NBA team. If I were ownership, mm-hmm. okay, and I felt like I had the trust and respect of my, whether it be my point guard or my power forward, whoever was the leader, right? And I respected their acumen and they were unselfish. And that's, you know, I mean, that's who I think Brunson is. There's no way in the world I would not have him in the decision room. I agree. I don't mean like the LeBrons of the world where like he forces decisions. I'm saying just invite Brunson into the room and say, you know, what are your thoughts on what we need to get to the next level? Especially he's a point guard too. And his acumen and his, you know, you see this IQ in a handful of players. And look, LeBron has incredible IQ. You see this, right? There's certain players that just have it. And if I were the owner of a team and I never played, which most owners haven't, I'd say, okay, well, I hired the right GM. I hired the right president, I think. But I found, I finally found a point guard after 20 years, maybe longer. I'm going to bring him in and I want to get his feedback on, you know, how does he see the team in the next couple of years? It's smart because he's actually one of those guys who, is, you know, as a point guard, you're essentially like a quarterback, right? Like, you know where everyone's supposed to be, what they're supposed to be doing, and, and you know the, the nuances better than probably any other player on the team. So, yeah, I mean, he'll, he'll probably, and I would trust him too. I like him a lot. I think he's a smart kid. So final thoughts. Let's go around, uh, throw out something outrageous, ridiculous that may happen over the next, you know, 48 to 72 hours. I am not leaving without addressing the Zion slander that infiltrated your previous podcast. Go. The, the floor is yours. I, I meant to give you the floor a little while ago, but we transitioned. The floor is yours. So, so, I mean, just to recap really quickly for those that may have missed um, your previous podcast, basically, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, guys, but you were saying how uh, Zion's garbage. <laughs> I will... I think your recency, the recency bias here has taken over. Um, I think you need to look at what Zion has done when he's on the court. Okay. And so I have a, f- a few numbers. Um, first of all, through their first three seasons, okay, Zion has played in 85 games. Joel Embiid, your most recent MVP, 31 games. Okay. Through his first three seasons, uh, correct. Correct. So through the first three seasons. Right. Okay. Um, let's talk about the number of players in NBA history who have averaged 25 and a half points per game and has shot over 60% from the floor. Zion Williamson, nobody else. Okay. The, (laughs) we can't talk about Zion as being a complete failure or a bust because every time he's played, he's performed. Now I will agree that the best ability is availability. Okay. And he hasn't been there for a variety of reasons, but again, he's a young kid. Okay. And he's got, yeah. And the off the court stuff is no, is no different than any other superstar player in the NBA. The only problem is that his has been aired out in public. Okay. But he's not doing anything different. So let's not kid ourselves there. Is it unprofessional of him because it got out there? Sure. Okay. But again, he's young. Um, I don't think the Pelicans should consider moving Zion. The, when they acquired CJ, CJ, Ingram, and Zion have played a total of 10 games together. (laughs) Sorry, there was something stuck in your throat there. Yeah, no, I just, you know. In those 10 games, they've only played 172 minutes on the floor together, which is remarkable. In those 172 minutes, their net rating is plus 16 and a half 
and they've scored 121 points per 100 possessions. Even if you think that's great on the offensive side. Just to be clear, you, you said 170 minutes, right? 172 minutes. So that's for the three and a half games. Game. Well, 10 games together, but okay. that's the total number. Of minutes. Right. Yeah. Even if you say, oh, well, Zion's great on offense, but he's a liability on defense, that isn't even true. Last year, the Pelicans, when Zion was on the court, they had the third best defensive rating in the entire league. Um, you know, he meshed really well with Valanchunas on the floor, Herb Jones, Trey Murphy, Alvarado. I mean, the, the Pelicans are well positioned and arguably have the most depth of any team in the entire league. I, it, it, there's no reason for them to shake things up. And if you recall, when Zion went down last year, um, they were the top seed in the West. So for all of this talk about Zion needs to go, Zion being a disaster, Zion's a bust, I see it completely opposite. I think, sure, he needs to play more, but when he's out there, he's lethal. So I appreciate that take. Uh, I'm pretty sure neither one of us, Lonnie nor myself, said he was a, a bust. Um, I think what we have said is that the hourglass is running out. And he signed a five-year, $190 million contract to do this thing. It's crazy. It's what you have to do is you have to show up, you have to put on those sneakers, and you actually have to be on the court. So I think the perspective was before last season, just to be clear, on this podcast, I actually said the Pelicans are going to win the West. Okay, That was based on the fact that Zion, Ingram, CJ, and the deepest team in the league, I felt were going to do it. When they started off, like, like, you know, right hot out of the gate, and I don't know, they were like 30 and 7 or whatever it was. There's some crazy, you know, mark. I was like, wow, everything is coming to fruition. And then everything happened again. He got hurt again. The rehab, according to mixed reports, has been mixed. Um, his weight continues to fluctuate. I don't even really care so much about this, these off-season dalliances with women and stuff, because like you said... I think every NBA player, and how about every guy in the world who's 24, okay, is going to have these situations. But I'm right now at a point where if I'm the GM or the president, and I have a five-year, $190 million investment, I need to see him on the court. But I think I also need to see him off the court starting to demonstrate the behavior of somebody who is being considered a generational talent. I mean, it is crazy. You know, we talk about Wembyama. I mean, no one talks about Zion anymore. I mean, no one talks about his basketball ability anymore. And I think that's because it's been seen so infrequently. And the last time we saw him on the court, I think, was December. So we're all for him coming back, playing amazing, staying healthy, eating right, improving his regimen, whatever it is. But if he comes back again and just gets hurt again, and it's like the third or fourth time in the cycle, as a franchise, you just have to start to figure out, what are you going to do? I mean... If I'm the Pelicans, do I keep him on the court? Do I show him off as like, a, as, as like a showcase and then get the best haul I can for him? Or do I see how long he stays on the court? And who knows, maybe he does play a whole season. Just like you said with Embiid, it wasn't until seasons four and five until he could stay on the court more. I think Embiid, to, to this day, is somebody who doesn't have enough in the fourth quarter to win a championship. I've said that for many, many, many years. Embiid doesn't have enough in the tank. He's too big. He's too. He's not in shape enough. And I think he. I don't. I think it's a combination of, of mentality and physic, physicality that prevents him from being able to perform in the fourth quarter the way he might from one to three. So I'm more than happy to see Zion show all of us that he's you know willing and capable of doing it. Uh, so far, he hasn't. I, I don't disagree that I think it's kind of a a prove it moment for Zion. I think this year is going to be a big one to their credit. The Pelicans have made a lot of changes to the training staff. They got rid of essentially the, the main guy that they had, they had over there for the last four years. And they brought in some of Zion's guys uh, to, to help them out. So I think now that hopefully Zion is more comfortable with the direction of how his body uh, needs to be trained or whatever to get on the court. Uh, hopefully we see that. I remember, um, you know, Coach K told the the Pelicans when they had questions, They, I think Stan Van Gundy mentioned this when he was the coach, that Coach K told him, hey, if you want to keep this guy healthy, you got to play him. Like, he, he, like Zion is one of those guys that needs to play. 
And I think the Pelicans didn't do him a, a service by holding him out as long as they did. Um, they kind of babied him a little bit, gave him minutes restrictions when he was on the floor. Like they held him to these ridiculous, like, okay, you can play in 20, 20 minutes. Um, and I remember distinctly, he, he put one game, he had scored like 17 points in a row. Um, but then he hit that magical 20 minute mark and they sat him the rest of the game. Um, you know, those, those kinds of things are off. I think the training wheels are off. Um, as far as Zion goes, I agree. He needs to show that he's more of a pro now. Um, but I think the Pelicans are in a good place, uh, as far as being, you know, a, a team that's a, a contender right now. Well, look, he, he, he's 24, right? Like, okay, let's, let's look back at a lot of players who were 24 talent wise. I agree with you 100% when he's on the floor and he's, and he's healthy, he's unbelievable. Literally one of the top few players in the NBA. However, yeah, I mean, it's availability, and it's also between the ears. Like, can you trust him for a whole season? Can you trust him in key moments? You know, we haven't, really, we haven't seen him do anything in the playoffs, right? Like, there's a lot that's got to go on. But, you look, know, I look back at a lot of players at 24, and, yeah, Embiid didn't play a lot. And Embiid, I had a little issue with, you know, he would send out these weird, like, cryptic tweets and all types of stuff that was going on that you'd hear about. Um, but yeah, I mean, but there's still something with Embiid that's missing, right? And I feel like Zion's a little bit like, I mean, look, Embiid couldn't even play for two years, right? Like that's, you know, that's the biggest thing. Like they drafted him knowing that. Uh, so yeah, I mean, he, look, he's got a lot of time. I just, you know, I'm starting to get afraid he's going to look a little bit like DeMarcus Cousins in a few years. Like it, I can see a little bit of that, but I, I, I will give him the benefit of the doubt that he's young, the first few years in the league, when he's on the floor, it's not even a question. He's a number one pick. It's it's that was that was squashed very quickly. He's unbelievable, but yeah, it it now comes down to like how committed are you to your craft? That, I think that's it, it. That's it to a key. Yeah, I mean, but you know, Steph, if if the Knicks can acquire Zion for Julius Randle, you do that in two seconds. Yeah, but look what I just said about Julius Randle. I know. I'm just saying, like you, you, you want Zion on the Knicks. You take him in, in, in a heartbeat. I'll take Zion for Randall. I, I don't want to give up too much more. You know, I'll give you, I'll give you three of our second round picks and maybe a first. I mean, we've got a lot of picks. I think we've got like 17 picks that we've accumulated. So I'll give you some picks. But yeah, I, I would do that trade today, 100. percent Can you imagine some of Zion's dunks in the Garden? That would be insane. Well, can you imagine the fact that Zion would love to play in the Garden? He right. said it. So, look, there's a lot of things that can happen. I, I, you, you, I think everybody knows. We want Zion to be amazing. For sure. I mean, it would, if Zion ends up being amazing and playing consistently, the NBA is like, you know, it's already has too many superstars. And obviously that's why there's going to be two more teams, you know, coming with Seattle and Las Vegas. But I mean, a great Zion is great for the West. For sure. It makes it, you know, must see TV every night. So on that note, I think we should, uh, I think we should wrap it up. I think we could talk a lot more about a lot of other players. If you have one last tidbit, one last thought, throw it out there. Who's going where? Uh, I, I don't know where Lillard ends up, but to me, that that's the the, the, the most intriguing thing for free agency. Um, well, I mean, he's not even a free agent. I guess it has to be a trade, but it's it would be interesting to me because I think that will dictate a lot of the moves in the in the West and perhaps even the East if he goes to somewhere like Miami. So that's what I'm looking for. Lon? I think, you know, to the Warriors, we touched on it for a second. I think Clay Thompson's going to make all the difference here in terms of what he does. If Clay Thompson decides to stay with the Warriors, it keeps it all together. And I think they they try to grab another interesting key piece that we we don't we don't see right now. I think the Spurs offer contracts to lots of players. Uh, and I think whatever team gets Fred Van Fleet uh, is going to be better uh, than they were the day before they got him. I think he's young enough and hungry enough and professional enough to go into some locker room, and maybe it's the Rockets, I don't know, but I think he's going to go somewhere and make a real difference. That's a good, that's no, a good call. Go to the, I think he could go to the Lakers. I think LeBron would, would freak out. I think that would be yeah. an amazing addition for LeBron. That is exactly the type of person he's looking for, a serious professional who, who wants to win another ring, a hungry wants to win another ring, and prove and it on his own. Of, and speaking of serious professionals, uh, Kyrie Irving, who might be the opposite, 
um, where he ends up is going to be interesting as well, whether he stays with Dallas or he goes somewhere else. I mean, there was some rumor of him going back to Boston, which sounds like a, a crazy reunion, but he'd actually be pretty good on that team if they, because now without Smart, they need a point guard. I mean, I, I can't even talk about Kyrie Irving. I, I find him just the, uh, like he's the definition of who you don't want on your team. Unreliable, not consistent, you know, has no idea how to play defense. He's a total liability on that end of the floor. Uh, you know, he's looking to get paid. He can get a bag from Dallas. If Cuban gives him the bag, you know, I can't imagine he doesn't want to take it. I don't think Kyrie likes Luka that much, which I think is even funnier. So I think if he goes back to Dallas, it's like, yeah, I'm going back to play with this guy who thinks he's amazing. I still think I'm better. Great. I mean, yeah. I mean, there's too much that comes. I mean, Kyrie's an incredible talent. I'll never say he's not. But he he, he lights a culture on fire, literally. <laughs> lights it on fire. Well, uh, gentlemen, this was great. Uh, Andrew Geiger, thank you so much for joining us again. And, uh, you know, we look forward to the next time we'll chat. It'll probably be right before the NBA season. Hopefully uh, we'll, uh, we'll know a lot more then. Sounds good, guys. Yeah, thanks, Andrew. Thanks. All Talk right. Talk to you soon. Have a good one. Later, dudes.